I said this morning, I forgot to pray for Nick and Millie, so I'm going to do that now. Lord, we do ask uh, and lift up uh, Nick and Millie. We ask you, Lord, to bless them. They've made this big step in life. Do bless them, Lord. Guide their steps. Guide their future. Be present with them in a very special way, Lord. Guard and guide them and protect them. Pour your blessing upon them in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're looking this evening at Psalm 145. So it joins in with Church Bible. It's page 443. 443, Psalm 145. Thematically, it ties in with what we looked at this morning. This morning, we looked at the power and compassion of Christ. Psalm 145 is the power and compassion of God the Father. And it's, it's, you know, power is one thing, but power with love and compassion is, is, I believe, such good news for the Christian. This was actually the last psalm that David wrote so it's the last of the Davidic Psalms. If you want to sound clever, you can say Davidic Psalms. It's the very last one. So I'm going to read it in its entirety. Psalm 145. Uh, because it's the last psalm, it tends to be conclusive. I mean, this is David writing his last psalm. It's like Paul writing in 2 Timothy, you know, his last book. So the passion is here. You can feel the passion uh, sometimes well, particularly we English preachers are said, you know, where's the passion? Where's the passion? But Psalm 145, David's last psalm, you know, he's just bursting with praise to God because God is so good and God is so kind. And David, you notice all biblical writers, even the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, notice he had to stop occasionally if you read his epistles he just had to stop sometimes and have a, a kind of big burst of praise to get out of his system then he'd go back to his little deep teaching and here psalm 145 the last psalm written by david and then the last five psalms 146 through to 150 all anonymous these psalms are just basically the the after praise the after praise, so Psalm 145 is so great, you end the last five, you have to end it with five hymns, not four, five, because God is so great. And this is real, it's not just words, that's where we should be in our Christian life. And I believe if you understand God is powerful and he's compassionate and loves a sorry old person like me and he's so patient and kind, then the result is praise. You can't sit still. That's uh, I hope where we're going to go. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, O my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Why? His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. That's what we need to do more of. Slow down and meditate. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. God's people sing. We always have done from Genesis. We sing. 
It's not just a tradition. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That includes every living thing. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of your glory, of your kingdom, and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds those who fall and lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him, notice, in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. This isn't universalism. It's not everyone's going to be saved. It is, you know, everyone can be, but not everyone, some reject. And then David's last words in the Psalms. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. God is so great, every creature everywhere should be praising the Lord. That's how great he is. And the question is, we don't, because generally mankind uh, rebels against God. And that's what sin is. It is rebellion. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, your lamp, your word is a lamp to our feet, and it is a light to our paths. Please again encourage us, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this Psalm 145, it's really a, it's, it's an alphabet of praise. You know, David is, is, he just cannot contain himself. God is so good. And then we look at us. You know, how enthusiastic are we? I often uh, say, you know, look at the world. Look at the great events that go on. Last year, the Olympics. Look at the rock concerts that go on. You know, look at the football games. I'm trying, I'm trying to be general. Look at the classical concerts. Look at the proms. I'm trying to cover every, every, every base. You know, do you ever have announcements saying, please come, you know, please come to the Olympic Games? Mr. Lord Coe, sorry. You know, didn't have to put out appeals, did he? Please come to the Olympic Games. We really want to fill this stadium. Good people of the world, please come. Did they have to say that? No, they didn't, did they? We know what enthusiasm is. We see it in the world, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I think uh, the world has the enthusiasm for, for their things that we should have in the church. George Whitfield preached to crowds sometimes of 80,000. That is the number that fitted in the Olympic Stadium. Not like God can't do anything. You just imagine. See that Olympic Stadium and then imagine that's George Whitfield preaching. Look at what these men did in our past. 
This is a great psalm of praise. It's, a, it's an alphabet of praise. In the Hebrew, you have the alphabet going through each verse, beginning with a, a different letter. Um, look at the opening doxology. Doxology is praise. We, you might often sing the doxology. And it's just an explosion of praise for God's goodness. Often you can't, you can't really express our Christian faith. Sometimes we put, try and put everything in a box. God is just so great. You cannot express it. You can try. In other Psalms, David is called God the rock, the fortress, the deliverer. But, but here he, he's broadening it. You know, he's going further than just Israel. It's everywhere. God's greatness, his universal care, all generations and all creatures. You know, why are we still here today? I often say the church didn't start in 1980, did it? It's been going for a long time. This great, great psalm, we often don't see and we often don't understand. Verse 3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. You know, how often do we think we have a little God who needs an awful lot of help to do things? Again, think of Tyndale. Some of you might have seen Melvin Bragg's excellent documentary on, on Tyndale, or Tyndall, as he says, you know, just not far from here. You know, look what he did. Look at the effect. God's greatness and God's power. The problem is, all of us in a way, you know, sin is rebellion. If you don't believe in God, God says you must believe in Jesus Christ. God says you must bow down and worship me. And we rebel. Sin is rebellion against God. I came across this rather amusing story recent, uh, not so long ago. Uh, a schoolgirl school wrote to Jack Sparrow, the Johnny Depp character in the Pirates of the Caribbean films, asking him to help lead a mutiny against her teachers at school. You think, well, kids do silly things, don't they? You know, you're going to write to Johnny Depp and ask him to come and be a pirate of the Caribbean and deal with your troublesome teachers. Well, that's what she did. Her wish was granted, but only partially. Beatrice, aged nine, sent the letter signed, a budding pirate, when she heard that Depp was filming near her school in Greenwich. A few days later, the actor, dressed in full pirate costume, appeared at the morning assembly. Appeared at the morning assembly. However, he said, you mustn't mutiny against your teachers. Do what they say and obey them. And that's really what we do with God. You know, how many times do we, we mutiny? And if you think of God as he looks down upon this world, what must he think? But here's David writing his last psalm. And this great theme of praise is incredible. It's unceasing praise. It should be continuous. In a way, that's probably life in heaven. Unceasing praise. Day and night. They probably, I mean, the timing's different there, but continual praise in heaven for all eternity. That's how great God is. You see, the bigger our God gets, the smaller we get, and our confidence should grow in him. And this is something, it's, it's the power and the perfection of God. You know, look at God. He's so powerful, and he is so perfect, and he is in control of everything. I think even David doesn't fully realize he just can't. Things move. One generation goes 
and the previous generation needs to, you know, what are we doing for the next generation, basically? What are we doing for them? You know, how are we encouraging them? He goes on, and I'm not running through the, the, whole, the whole psalm, but one thing we need to do in verse, eight, verse 5 is meditate, that slow down, and think. When the Christian life gets a little bit mundane, think about, I'm still alive. Who's given me life? God has given me life. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been my sin bearer, who's taken away my sin. I could be in hell now and not here if I had died. A few, you know, many years ago, before I was a Christian, I wouldn't be here. We're alive. We need to meditate. We need to stop and we need to think. The goodness and the righteousness and the power of God. Look at verse 7. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Do we think God is good? God can only be good. That's something we can get confused with when we're going through the trials in life, can't we? God is always good to his people. Now, your definition and my definition of what is good might vary with God's, but God is always good to his people. So we rest in that. He will be good to me. Even though I might think at the time it's not good, God will be good and we accept it by faith. And then we... we Think about the greatness of God. No one can fathom. How powerful is God? Infinitely powerful. There's nothing he cannot do. And then we tie in this great news, the, the compassion of God. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Again, this is so encouraging. All that power which cannot be fathomed, and yet at the same time he is compassionate and rich in love to me. God loves me. He's going to be compassionate to me. God cares. Theologians say, you know, God can, can focus on you with all his attention. All his attention. He, he's not divided up. He's great. He's so powerful that God is focusing on you with all his attention. A hundred percent. How does God do it? How does God do it? How can God focus on me and Jonathan at the same time? He can. It's amazing. Are we thinking about these truths? This isn't fantasy. It's real. And that's why David is just bursting forth. He's slow to anger and rich enough. Look at David's life. Look at David's life. Look at his sin. Look at the things he went through. His son even rebelled against him. So we're told to meditate. We're told to think. And we get the uh, echoes, remember, in the New Testament. Jesus said, you know, don't worry, take a day at a time. The compassionate nature of God. And then verse 10 goes on, all you have made will praise you, Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of your glory, of your kingdom, and speak of your might. No, God is king forever. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, verse 13, and your dominion endures through all generations and you know again it's this this bursting forth of the greatness and the glory of God and then we come it gets even more helpful towards the end in application the Lord is faithful to all his promises faithful God is faithful God doesn't let you down God doesn't abandon you. He, he just doesn't sit there. He is concerned. God has made promises. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are promises made. The love of God, the kindness of God. And sometimes in the dark times and the difficult times, you just have to hold on to the promises. What else are you going to hold on? You can't hold on to the world, can you? Look at the world's financial system. Look what happened to the world's financial system. Look at the, look at the instability of the world. You can't lean on these things, but the Lord is faithful to all his promises. This powerful God says, when I make a promise, it is sure and it is fast. And God says and tells us to trust him for everything. And loving towards all he has made, the love of God. And then as perhaps might save this up for those difficult times, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. Mr. Spurgeon, great Charles Spurgeon said, it's probably God's, God's way is normally to strip those he intends to clothe and lower those he intends to lift up. So how many times as we go through life, you know, those trials and tribulations hit you and those worries hit you, fear of the future, regrets about the past, do we really say to ourselves, God has promised to take care of me, the almighty God that created all things, ruler over time and space, you know, we sometimes think he can't quite handle those job worries. He can't quite handle the little thing we're worried about. You see, we have a, a little God. And we have to get back to where David was to think, tie together the power, the compassion of God Almighty. Look at what the word uh, says. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. Job talks a lot about God caring for his animal creation. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing and you look at the argument from the lesser to the greater. If God cares about these little animals and these little plants, what about you that are his child and he's the perfect parent and he's all powerful? Do we really believe it? Do we really meditate upon the mighty acts of God? Do we really understand? Do we really marvel at God's condescension of his kindness and his goodness to us? Do we really understand his eternal dominion? Let's push through to the New Testament and look at 1 Timothy 1.17, which is the Apostle Paul writing nearly his last letter, 1 Timothy 117. It's Paul trying to encourage Timothy. That's a tough job, isn't it? Apostle Paul, imagine Apostle Paul saying to you, hey, you're going to take over from me. That's a tall order, isn't it? 1 Timothy 1 and verse 17. Look at this. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Is the Apostle Paul then? He just has this little burst of praise. The eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God be glory, honor forever and ever. Amen. There's this great burst of praise. God's kingdom. And David again, going back to this, this psalm. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. And then I believe it, 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 he's really getting to the end now. This is David, his last psalm. 
coming to the end of his last psalm, and look at these words. The Lord is near to all who call on him. You might say, well, that's all right for David. He was a king. He was close to God. Yeah, that's okay for David, but he doesn't live in Chippenham. Have my problems, you know? He probably had a secure job as king, did he? What about when his son, Absalom, rebelled and David was driven out into the Judean wilderness and basically running around in the pitch darkness with his son chasing him with, with soldiers trying to kill him? That's not much fun, is it? David says, hey, if you are running for your life, if you are out in the Judean hills in the pitch darkness where arrows could fly from, from, from out of the darkness or someone could just appear. Remember, it's dark. There's no lighting. David says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. You might say, well, everything's fine in my life now. That's awfully interesting. But there could well be a time in your life when everything falls apart. God's in control, but everything falls apart. And then you need to know that when you call on the Lord, he is there. Holy Spirit is in you. God is watching over you. And Christ is there beside you. So it's a a splendid truth. And then we get the peace. Then we get the joy. But notice it has to be to all who call on him in truth. This is boiling it down to it. It's God's covenant people. People who believe in God, who call on the true God. And I just think it's, a, it's just a, a wonderful passage. It's just so, so encouraging. He is the provider, but he's also dependable. God is dependable. The dependability of God. What is dependable in the world today? Not a lot, is it? We get very exasperated with computers. They work half the time. It's frustrating. What is dependable? Human beings... Nope. You know, job, no. Money, no. Nothing is dependable, but God is. So David's praising it. God is 100% dependable. You can completely rely on him. When you're going through those trials and, and just everything is black and dark and horrible, and you think, it can't get any worse, and it does get worse, and then even worse. You say, hang on a second, I'm going to stop and meditate it. I'm a child of God. God loves me. God is dependable. God has made promises. God will not let me down. God's in control of everything. He can, he can evaporate the world. He can do anything. And if you believe that, then you have the peace. John Wesley, again, look how John Wesley changed our country. John Wesley, these guys, they just like a preach. and Thousands of people show up and they preach forever. You know, and it's just preach, and the spirit came down. John Wesley. Well, let's remember it was Wesley. You know, where did where did his faith come from? How did, how was he shaken? He was on a storm in the Atlantic, I believe, going to the United States to be a missionary before he was a Christian. He might have been coming back, and there was a storm, and storms in sailing ships are scary, and there were the Moravian brethren in the ship in this terrible storm, singing hymns laughing and at peace. Wesley was terrified. He said, how come these Moravians, they have no fear. They're trusting. And eventually, remember, he went Aldersgate Street and he came to know the Lord. The word there for for God, for for this dependability, is this idea of loyalty 
and unchangeableness. God will never let us down. He is totally and absolutely dependable. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. Again, do we stop and think? Do we marvel at this? Does it mean anything to us? The Lord watches over all who love him. That's his people. But all the wicked he will destroy. Notice that judgment is there in among the praise. And that's a bit scary. And then David says, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Remember the martyrs in heaven say to the Lord, how long, Lord, until you come and judge the earth? Also, that's rather scary. How are these Christian martyrs in heaven at the throne praying to God, Lord, when are you going to come and destroy the earth? How long, Lord? And we're praying here thinking, Lord, you know, please have mercy on everyone. And the martyrs in heaven are saying, Lord, how long before you judge the earth? And you're thinking, whoa, that's a bit scary. It's a bit scary. How can all this become real to us? The ministry of God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit makes the truth real. If, if the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important, and the Holy Spirit isn't something new. The Holy Spirit didn't crop up in 1980. John Owen, the Puritan, wrote more about the Holy Spirit than, than, than anyone else has done. The Holy Spirit is God. The problem is today so much, uh, there's just so much confusion, so many uh, new ideas. But the Holy Spirit makes this all real. That's a very important ministry. It's not just a book. It's not just some old history book. God, the Holy Spirit, makes this truth real to us. So we just love this. So why praise? God's going to help us. We're inadequate. He's powerful. He has power to revive lost hope and failed abilities. You know, we need hope. He provides everything. He answers those who pray. He's, he's described as a close friend. And he protects so no wonder, okay, one more New Testament reference in Luke 21 on God's protection as we, as we wrap this up. Luke 21. We, we don't often pray for protection, do we? We, we? we sometimes say we should pray. We need protection from Satan and his forces of evil. And we, we just don't, we think, well, I'm okay. I don't see anything. But we need to, don't we? If we don't pray for God's protection, then, then we are at risk. We need to pray. We have an enemy who hates us. God loves you, but Satan hates you. Luke 21 and verse 16 and 18, just to push through into some New Testament uh, references. Luke 21. My failing eyesight. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. There's Jesus there giving assurance to the disciples in times of persecution. Not a hair of your head. God has that power. God is all-powerful, and he is amazing. And then we have this closing doxology my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord, that every creature praise his holy name. God is so great, every creature needs to praise him forever. That's how great God is. How great is God? Can you imagine every creature on earth? 
or animal creature. Humans should praise, but they don't. God is so great, everything he's made should praise him forever and ever and ever. That's how much praise he deserves. It's just so amazing. It's like a final overture, the final movement, using an orchestral term. I have to be careful, a bit rusty on the orchestra terminology. Uh, a final overture to the final movement of the Psalms, really. And it's so great. You've got to have five Psalms after it to kind of be the, 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 the kind of just the praise, the echo. It's amazing. And then we go back to our lives. David's last words, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. And that's really David's last words there. He says, all I can tell you is just praise him because he is good and he is great. He will not fail. He will not let you down. And that is just, this is it. It's a solo hymn of praise. And it's intended to stimulate the congregation, in this case you, to appreciate God's kingship and God's power. And that's uh, what we need. Everyone should respond because God is just so good. And then God will do so much more. We need to call on him, fear him, and love him. God will bless you. You just won't know what to do. I'll end there. I can't really express it, so I'll stop.